Welcome to Calvary this morning. As we join together for worship, I would like to invite all the children to join me in the front. Am I sitting down? Good morning to all of our children and to all of you in the pews. Welcome to Calvary. My name is Emily. I'm one of the ministers here on staff. If you are a guest with us this morning, we welcome you. And if you are a regular attender, we also welcome you. All are welcome in this space, and we are so glad that you are here. If you are visiting with us today, there is a welcome card in the pew in front of you. We encourage you to fill that out and put it in the offering plate towards the end of the service. This will give us a record of your attendance and allow us to reach out to you about our ministries and our missions here at Calvary. This morning we come to worship, and I am so excited to show all of you this new worship cart. Have a look at the cart. If you can't see it, come on down here. You'll see all of the different activities and art supplies, books and Bibles that are on it. There's dry erase boards and markers, pipe cleaners, some scratch-off art, and paper and pencils. All of this is just for you all, for you to use and read and do during the worship service. Today the cart is up front, but normally it will find its home in the back of the sanctuary where you can come in and get what you want to do for worship and then find a seat. You can put it in one of these bags or you can just carry it straight to your seat if you don't need a bag. I also want to show you these little pieces of paper. This says, my artistic offering to God. This is for you to draw a picture, and you can put it in the offering plate later on the service to offer it to God as your art. So this cart and all of its materials are for you all, and I want you to know that you are an important part of Calvary, and we want you in worship, and we welcome you in this place for all of who you are. You are so loved here. So let's join together in prayer, and after I pray, you can choose something from the cart that you would like to do today, okay? So let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for these children. We thank you for who they are and who you have created them to be. We pray that you would be with them and guide them, God. Help them to know that you love them so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Christians join to sing, Hallelujah, Amen. Loud praise to Christ our King, Hallelujah, Amen. Let all with heart and voice before His throne rejoice. Praise is His gracious choice. Friend, 
to us he'll condescend come to you today in shock as we consider the gravity of the atrocity that was committed in Las Vegas last week. We have seen and felt what it is like for our hearts to be broken in many ways recently. To feel the sting of an act that was committed that desecrated many lives created in your image is a feeling that many of us have become all too familiar with. As the church today, let us go out and live up to our call to be a resurrected people that brings hope to those in need of it. Let us learn to love better when it is hardest to, and as your holy and beloved church, let us live up to our call to be missional people that's lives, that lives, says, and does everything in light of your goodness. We pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is all around me. 
Christ be all around me, be in Puerto Rico, in Dominica, in the Dominican Republic, in Guadalupe, in Haiti, in the Virgin Islands, and in all places devastated by Hurricane Maria, in communities who have lost everything, where there is still no water, no electricity, Christ, Christ be, be there. there. Christ be all around me, be in Las Vegas. Be with the 59 families and friends and communities who have lost someone they loved dearly this week. Christ, be with the 489 people who were injured in such a horrific trauma. Christ, be with those who are grieving such an unimaginable tragedy. Christ, Christ be, be there. there. Christ, be all around me. Be in South Texas with those who continue to recover from Hurricane Harvey. Christ be in Port Aransas, in Rockport, in Galveston, in Port Arthur, in Houston. Be with those who are continuing the work of relief and beginning the work of recovery and restoration. Christ, Christ be, be there. there. Christ be all around me. Be here, in this room, in us. Christ be with those of us <clears throat> who are grieving, anxious, afraid, or alone. Christ, be with those of us who are hurting today. Christ, be in the situations that are, that are weighing on us today. Christ, be with all of us who need your mercy, your strength, your healing, and your love. Above and below us, before and behind us. Christ, Christ be, be all, all around us, us in, in this place, place and, in and in all places. Above and below me, before and behind me, in every eye 
before and behind me, in every eye that sees me, Christ is all around me. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses spoke with him. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. A reading from the second epistle to the Corinthians. Since then, we have such a hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old if you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. 
just worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. When there's a better life, there's a better life. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, He's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, He's a prison shaking Savior. If you've got chains, He's a chain breaker. If you've got chains, He's a chain I'm here with Gail Lentz this morning, and Gail, you've been involved in our partnership with West Avenue Elementary School for quite some time now, and I think you have such great stories to share with us from your experiences there that I am excited for the rest of Calvary to get to hear about. Um, so my first question is, is, when did you first start mentoring at West Avenue, and, and what has kept you going back year after year? As I thought back, the very first thing that we as a church did to partner with West Avenue was after school tutoring. Um, and we would go and a, a teacher would be there and kind of get things going and then we'd break up into small groups and it would be language arts or reading or math. And um, one day I went and she was talking about um, cause and effect and cause and effect, cause and effect. Cause is what makes things happen and effect is what happens. And so they, the children came to the tables and one of them sat next to me and she said, are you old? <laughs> I said, well, I'm growing older. And she said, well, you have that white right here on the sides. And I said, look how smart you are because that's cause and effect. Because the cause is I'm getting older, and the effect is my hair is starting to get whiter. And she said, yeah, and you have some wrinkles in your forehead. <laughs> and I keep going back. <laughs> well, over time, I know that your relationship with children has extended far beyond a 30-minute block of time to read or to do after-school work. Tell me about how those relationships have formed. Well, the first time um, was... We've done all different kinds of things with the school, but we were working one-on-one -on -one with children. And I was in the library with a, a, a young lady um, who didn't love a lot of people, and I wasn't sure I was on her good list yet. But it was the, the last week of December, and family was coming. I had so much to do, and I went ahead and went on my day. And we were reading in the library, and uh, she stopped in the middle. She said, we're having a, a Christmas party in my room tomorrow. I said, really? That's nice. What are you going to do? And we talked about it. And she said, can you come? And I looked at her and said, sure. What time is it? Um, and I went to the party because um, I thought it was important. And again, these things are easy for me to do. I have um, a lot more discretionary time than a lot of people do. Um, uh, but I showed up with my 
bag of chips. And uh, the interesting thing was the relationship that changed most that day was between me and the teacher in the classroom, who I, I think she didn't quite know what to do with me before then, but um, I proved myself. I'm somebody who comes, I care, I do stuff, I serve snacks. Um, and so um, that's been an important part of, of going and doing. Uh, I, once There are programs during the year. There's a Christmas program, Martin Luther King Day program, end of school program. I find out from the music guy, because the children are really not all that reliable about time and place. Um, and find out when those are. And it's easy for me to go. It's easy for me to take photographs that I, I print out and give to the children. And a lot of times I get to meet the parents when I go to those. Um, the end of school program last year, I was talking to one of this past year's reading club kids. And I turn around and behind me is a, a, a girl that I'd had two years ago in reading club. And, um, oh, her little sister is still at that school. She's talked to her, went and talked to her mom. Um, well, I talk at her mom, and then the kid translates for mom, because um, that year, uh, all of my reading club girls were the only English speakers in their families, um, and so um, it's sobering, keep, yes. And you keep showing up in I all keep, those I keep places. showing up, the sweaty days in the crowded <laughs> seats, yeah, I keep showing up. So you have a great story about connecting with a child through sending them some mail and what happened through that. Would you be willing to share that? The first year that we did a mentorship, um, at the end of the year, uh, the principal came on a Sunday and we sat around downstairs big, around big tables and talked about what worked and what didn't work and what would be most helpful. And um, at one point I said something, you know, my kid this, and the principal said who, and I told her who, and, you know, hmm. She, hmm, and hmm. It turns out that um, my kid, who was a third grader at the time, when she was in kindergarten and first came to school, she was apparently a nightmare Mount Terror child, just, just horrible for six weeks, just, you know, tornado, and she just was horrible. And then she settled down into school and, and got okay. And then the next year when she was in first grade, same thing, six weeks, nightmare terror child. She did that first grade, second grade, third grade. And so I said to the principal, do you think it might help if I sent her cards during the summer? Um, and I, I did have her, the school has this tower of protection for their families. Um, and, but I was able to get her address because it was her birthday, I wasn't going to be there. And they contacted the family who then contacted me and gave me her address, but I had her address. Um, and so I left here and went straight to Target and bought four cards, one for June, July, and August, and one for the end of the first week of school. Um, and I just mailed them off. And so when it was time for us to go back and, and do our mentoring job, I went into her classroom, and um, they were, it was math, and they were working in small groups. I just sit down next to her for a while, and I smiled. She smiled. By then, she's kind of used to me. Um, and then she's working, working, and stops and turns around and said, I got those cards that you sent me in the mail. I said, really? She said, yeah, I keep them in my mom's car. Sometimes things make a big difference. Absolutely. You have another great story about a Wizard of Oz performance that's really special. And this was this same kid. Um, we were down in the library reading. This was, she was a fourth grader then, and, and we read a couple of pages, and then she was kind of in a snit about something. She was really a lovely child. She's going to grow up and be somebody wonderful. But, you know, when you're four, fourth grader, um, and she's, um, the 
Mission Waco had an after-school program, and she went there, uh, walked over from school to Mission Waco, uh, and, and they did all kinds of amazing things, and she said, we're going to be in a, we're going to have a play. I said, oh, really? And she said, it's a musical. I said, oh, well, what is it? And she said, Wizard of Oz. And I said, oh, wow, what part are you going to play? Because she really does like to be in charge of things. So I thought maybe Dorothy was the part that she was after. She said, the Wicked Witch. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding? That is the best part. And she looked at me with an amazed expression because nobody had said that to her, that the Wicked Witch was the best part. And I said, I want to come see you be the Wicked of Witch. The be the Wicked Witch. And so um, I went uh, over to Jubilee Theater and watched the production. And, you know, it's a kid's production. And apparently they had showed them Wizard of Oz and The Wiz. And, and so they had crafted their, they created their own production of this. And um, so Dorothy and the animals and everybody. And then the stage goes dark for several seconds. And when the lights come back up, the back of the stage is bathed in green light. And in front of that, on a platform, standing with arms outstretched and legs outstretched like a big black X, is the Wicked Witch. And they start to play that bad to the bone. <laughs> and the crowd went wild. There could not have been a better, more affirming situation than the Wicked Witch, who is in some ways bad to the bone. Um, but I was able to go and talk to her and, and mom and, and her brother afterwards, and it was a, a wonderful thing and, and worth every um, small amount of dollars to get in and every amount of... Have you been to the Jubilee Theater? Mary Alice fits in the chairs of the Jubilee Theater, <laughs> not me, sitting like this. Um, worth every single minute um, to say, to be one more person in a child's life, to say, I think you're important and you matter. Awesome. Well, today we are talking about how our experiences in mission ultimately transform us. That, that it's not only the people whom we are serving or getting to know, but that we are transformed through the process. And so my last question is, through all of these stories and experiences, how have you been transformed? It, it makes me better in every way. Um, it makes me aware of people who live different kinds of lives than mine. I, I live in a neighborhood of people who are just like me, and... Um, and to, to see children who are struggling to be able to read and, and a teacher in a classroom with so many children that it's impossible to do the kind of one-on-one -on -one that children need. Um, we bring all different kinds of things to the table, those tiny little tables with the benches on either side. Um, and we take away all different kinds of things. Um, from the table, and it's, um, it, it, there are years when it hasn't been as much fun, but there have been years where it's been hilarious fun, and so, you know, even all of that out, and it's a win-win. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Principal A, we're glad that you're here with us again today. We are so grateful for the work you do day in and day out, and that we get to be a part of that, and that we get to be transformed at West Avenue. So, thank you, Gail.
of all of our hearts together in this room that we may be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'd like to invite us to take a few big, deep breaths together this morning. So let's inhale 
Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. When you and I breathe, a transformation is happening. And I can't remember all of the specifics from my middle school science classes, although I bet some of y'all could help me out here. But I remember enough to know that, that we breathe in air that is rich in oxygen, and then we exhale air that is rich in carbon dioxide. We take something in and we let something go, and a change takes place within us. So that, that's why whenever we get anxious or stressed, stopping to take a few deep breaths is so important for us to do because it helps to get oxygen throughout our body to help calm our nerves. Or when we're working out and exercising, remembering to keep breathing helps to pump oxygen to our muscles to get them the support they need to keep pushing through. Ultimately, deep breathing can relieve pain, it can strengthen our immune system, increase blood quality, strengthen our lungs, make our hearts strong, and even boost our energy levels and stamina. And it's all because each life-giving breath that you and I take invites something within us to be transformed. And in today's text, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing about a transformation that is taking place. And starting in verse 17, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. He makes it clear that only the risen Christ can bring about this transformation. He refers back to the law, but he says the law couldn't bring about any true or lasting change. There, there is still that veil that was keeping people from seeing God face to face. But it's only through Christ that we can be changed from one degree of glory to another, until at last we are completely transformed into Christ's likeness. Now, transformation is actually one of Paul's reoccurring themes throughout his letters in the New Testament. So, for instance, we hear about it in his letter to the Romans. Paul says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then in his writings to the church at Corinth, he says, Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, and we will be changed. Transformation was significant to Paul. And transformation is becoming quite the buzzword around us these days, isn't it? People are constantly selling products and drinks and supplements that can help us lose 50 pounds or experience a complete and total transformation. 
and everyone in Waco and everywhere else seems to be talking about how we can take dilapidated houses and turn them into this Chip and Joanna shiplapped transformation. Or there's always a new diet or lifestyle or makeover that offers to leave us feeling like a completely different person. Maybe that's why the hashtag Transformation Tuesday is becoming one of the top trends in social media. People are drawn to transformation. But it was never intended to be this trendy buzzword or hashtag. It's an important part of our scripture. And for those of us who seek to follow Christ, transformation is an important part of our story. Really, transformation is our story, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. But that also means that in order for true and lasting change to take place within us, something has to die within us, too. We have to be willing to let go of something old in order to be made into something completely new. And friends, I wonder, what is it that might be hindering transformation from happening in your life? What is it that might be hindering transformation from happening here at Calvary? What might you and I need to let go of in order to be made new? What needs to die within us in order for something new to be born within us? And the reality is that this process of being transformed doesn't happen in 30 days or in five easy steps like we see on TV. Being transformed is an ongoing, everyday part of our life with God. Perhaps that's why when we see transformation in today's text, it's in the present tense. It's not something that could happen or might happen or will happen in the not-so-far-off distant future. Instead, the hope is that transformation is continually happening within us, sometimes in big and radical ways, and sometimes it's just as quiet and subtle as the breath that we breathe. One of my professors in seminary, Dr. Mike Stroop, shares this powerful definition of mission in his classes that I will always hang on to. He says that mission is people being transformed by people who are being transformed. That when we are participating in God's mission in the world, we can't help but to be transformed ourselves. And so when you and I read with students at West Avenue, as Gail spoke about so beautifully this morning, we are being transformed by the children in our reading groups who are being transformed. Or when we deliver meals on Tuesday and Thursday mornings to our neighbors through Meals on Wheels, the Spirit is transforming us through these conversations and connections and relationships we're building with people who are also being transformed. When we enter into a new relationship with a coworker, with children who live across the street from us, or when we sit down together in small groups like we will this fall, we are being transformed by people who are being transformed. When we meet face to face with Syrian refugees in Lebanon, with migrant kids in China, with faithful church leaders in South Texas, with children playing across the street at Sealy Park, or with our neighbors at Greater New Light, we are being transformed by people who are being transformed. 
This definition has helped me to reimagine mission more than anything else because it has taught me that the mission isn't a project or an event or a trip, although it can certainly be part of all of those things. But God's mission is for you and me to be transformed. It's a way of life. But none of this transformation happens on its own. It happens by the Spirit, as our text today reminds us. In his most recent book on mission, Dr. Stroop says, Life remains one-dimensional without the Spirit. The biblical witness tells me the Spirit moves upon mundane historical happenings and frail, ordinary people. As the Spirit interrupts, happenings and people are transformed. And so, he says, if I preach a sermon doing everything just right, but the Spirit does not speak through and in my words, my gestures, my face, and ideas, then it's just a sermon, well-crafted and maybe even cute, but still just a sermon. Or if I rush to the hospital of a dying person and perform all the duties of pastoral care in a competent and professional manner, and yet the Spirit does not enter the room with me, Then I bring only skill and competency, not healing and comfort. If I open my Bible and read it with all the exegetical prowess, and yet the Spirit does not teach me, correct me, or reprove me, then this text cannot be a light to my feet and a lamp to my path, and it will not shine through me. If I befriend and love my neighbor and in due time speak clearly of my faith in Jesus Christ with with skill and empathy, but if I am void of the Spirit's witness, then friendship and love remain merely my friendship and my love, and thus fall short of true love and fail to transform. Friends, it is the Spirit that breathes life within us, within all of us. The Spirit that transforms you and me to do the things that God is calling us to do and to be the people that God is calling us to be. But you and I can't even begin to imagine, let alone reimagine mission, without the Spirit. Yet there are so many times that we try to do these things on on our own, aren't there? by our own powers and abilities, our own talents and creativity and our own energy. And if we're not careful, we can convince ourselves into thinking that we can do it all. And I know this because I try to do it all on on my own all the time, and I fail at it all the time. I have grown to appreciate Sunday mornings in a new way since becoming your pastor. Those of you who know me well know that I'm not a morning person. But but Sunday mornings are different for me than other days. I'm excited to get out of bed on Sunday mornings. And in those early morning hours, I find a spot on my back porch as the sun is beginning to rise. And I pull out my Bible and my laptop. And I begin to put these finishing touches on my sermon. I look forward to that time. Now, all week long, I feel like often what I've been writing is my own. I do the research, I go to the library, I study, I brainstorm, I write, and I rewrite. And oftentimes, I can go to bed on Saturday night, sometimes frustrated with where the sermon is or where the sermon isn't. And sometimes I just go to bed exhausted. 
But something different happens in that sacred space on Sunday mornings. On Sunday mornings, there is always a new word from God, a word I know isn't mine. And ideas and images spring up within me that I know I've never thought about before. And every Sunday morning, this fresh wind of the Spirit reminds me that the work I am doing is not my own, not even close. And perhaps the invitation for me and for you and for all of us is to approach every day like Sunday mornings. And when we get in those moments of feeling overwhelmed or anxious or frustrated or just flat out exhausted, instead of relying on ourselves to just keep pushing through, perhaps one of the best things we can do is to just breathe. I'd like to invite us to take a few more deep breaths together. In and out. In and out. Do you know what the word conspire means? Dan Hanshi might help me with this. The word conspire literally means to breathe together. Con meaning together and inspire meaning spirit or a breath. Barbara Brown Taylor says to conspire is to be filled with the same spirit, to be enlivened with the same wind. What happens between us when we come together to worship God is that the Holy Spirit swoops in and among us, knitting us together in the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, and the breaths that we breathe. It can happen with two people or it can happen with 2,000 people. It can scare us or comfort us, confuse us, or clarify things for us. But once we get the hang of it, she says, the evidence of the Spirit is easier and easier to spot. Whenever two plus two does not equal four but five, whenever you find yourself speaking with eloquence you know you do not have or offering forgiveness you know you didn't mean to offer, Whenever you find yourself taking risks you thought you did not have the courage to take or reaching out to someone that you had intended to walk away from, you can be pretty sure it's the Spirit. And more than that, in these moments you are taking part in it, breathing in and breathing out, taking God into you and giving God back again to the world with some of you attached. Friends, that's what a holy conspiracy is. A conspiracy like this happens when you hear something in a sermon that I actually never talked about. It happens when 55 backpacks filled with school supplies showed up for West Avenue Elementary School the week before school started, or when 19 different individuals and families offered to open their homes to small groups this fall. A conspiracy happened just this week when at the beginning of the week we had so many blank spots for Calvary's community yard sale sign up, and yet there were more than enough people to help. In fact, we wrapped everything up yesterday in record time. A conspiracy happens each and every week when you show up to teach Sunday school or to rock a baby, to sing in the choir, to greet in the welcome center. And yes, you may be exhausted from the week, feeling like you have nothing left to give. But after this deep breath of the Spirit, God fills you with the energy to do it anyway, and you're glad that you came. 
And perhaps you just keep showing up because the Spirit just keeps showing up in all of these moments too. A divine conspiracy happened last Sunday when we shared that we are behind budget here at Calvary and that if we continue at this rate, we will be significantly behind budget later this fall. We normally receive about seven or $8,000 in offerings each week. Sometimes it's around ten to 12000 on the first Sunday of the month. And yet last Sunday, there was $20,000. It was a beautiful conspiracy of the Spirit working in you and in me and in all of us in ways that none of us could imagine on our own. Friends, perhaps the biggest question we can ask ourselves today is this. Do you and I believe in a God who can truly transform us? A God who can transform our pain, our doubt, our shame, and our brokenness? A God who can transform our insecurities, our inadequacies, our failures, and our stubborn self-sufficiencies? A God who can transform our financial situations, our relationships, our church, and our lives. Do we come to church each week expecting to be transformed by what the Spirit is doing in this place? Do we come to God in prayer and in worship expecting our lives to be transformed in the process? Do we approach one another with an openness and an eagerness to be transformed by people who are being transformed? I wonder what divine conspiracies might be just at the tip of our fingers if you and I would open ourselves to be transformed by the Spirit. And it all begins with taking these big, deep breaths and breathing together, in and out, in and out. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would transform us in ways that we can't possibly begin to imagine. Whatever situation it is that that is hanging within us today, whatever grief, whatever doubt, whatever worry or anxiety or fear, whatever inadequacy, whatever situation that just seems too big, too much, too far off, God, remind us that you are a transforming God. That you transformed yourself to come and to be with us, to be one of us. That you died so that we might have this life abundant that is constantly being transformed. God, you are above and below us, behind and before us, beside us and all around us. May we daily open ourselves up to being transformed by you. God, this is a bold prayer because transformation means letting go of something, letting something die in order for something new to be born and to come. But we pray it anyway because we pray and we know that that's how your spirit works in the world and we know that that's how your spirit works in our lives. God, transform us 
And we ask these things in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Maybe you are here today and you're hearing this talk about the transformation that happens in a life of following Jesus, but you've never responded to Jesus. Maybe the Spirit is saying that that today is the day for you to step out in faith in a way that you haven't before. And if you would like to talk with one of our ministers about following Jesus, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. Or maybe you're ready to make Calvary your community of faith. We would love to welcome you with open arms. We would love to be transformed with you and by you as we share life in this place. Or maybe you're struggling today to to see or to imagine transformation in your own life, in a difficult situation, or in the pain and brokenness of our world. Wherever you find yourself today, know that there is space to be real about that. And so however God is leading you to respond, we would love to visit with you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray, unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us Christ. We are the 
God, creator, redeemer, sustainer. We are confronted daily with so many overwhelming needs in our world. Las Vegas, Puerto Rico, the Gulf Coast, and so many other things. Sometimes we are at a loss and don't know what to do. One thing we can often do, even if it's inconvenient, is give. Walk with us, God, as we set aside our own desires and wants to join the call of giving generously. This is hard, but give us the strength to follow through and continue giving of our money, our time, and our talents. Receive the gifts that we offer and grant that our whole life may give you glory and praise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We all come on up here. Calvary, I know most of these faces are familiar to you, and I hope you have had a chance to meet Dave McCarroll over the past few months. Um, Dave moved here from Houston earlier this year and has so enjoyed becoming part of the life of Calvary. Uh, he works as a technology professional, which means lots of really cool and exciting things that I've learned from him. But today he wanted to make it official that he wants to be part of the Calvary family. Um, it was really neat when I asked Dave, what are you passionate about? He said, I'm passionate about transformation. And, and I hope you'll get to sit down with Dave and talk about how his life has been transformed, especially over the past year. But there's one more reason why Dave wanted to make it official that he is becoming part of the Calvary family today. You may know that he and Linda have been dating for quite some time. And they wanted us at Calvary to be some of the first people to know that just last night at the suspension bridge, Dave proposed to Linda, and they are now engaged. <laughs> Linda and Dave, we love you. We celebrate with you. And Dave, we are so glad to welcome you into the Calvary family. Um, there is a pledge that we like to make when people join the Calvary family, but today we'd like to make it not only to you, Dave, but to all of your family, and to Kinsey, and Grace, and Ben. And so we have some words that we would like to share with you today. In response to your decision, we pledge ourselves to be the family of God for you in this place. We offer you our love, our care, our kinship, and our hopes. We hope to I'll invite y'all to have a seat for just a moment, and then you're welcome to follow me out during the benediction, because I know there are lots of people who will want to see you and celebrate with you today. Um, just a reminder, as you leave today, if you haven't joined one of our fall small groups, today is the day to do it. They will start meeting next week. We have so many different options, and would love for you to be a part of that, and I, I know you won't want to miss out on that experience. This is an exciting day, but it's also a sad day as we are saying goodbye to someone. And so I'm going to ask Kelsey to, to come up here and put you on the spot. This is Kelsey Wiggins' last Sunday with us for a while. And we have grown to know and love Kelsey so much. And she has poured so much, particularly into our youth ministry over the past year. And developed such close relationships. And look at me and know that I say this with my whole heart, that you've made such a tremendous impact on so many lives in this place. 
I know you'll want to say goodbye to Kelsey as well, and I know the youth are going to be celebrating her later today as well. Kelsey's moving to San Antonio and will be doing hospice social work, and so we are excited about what God has planned for you next. Well, friends, would you stand with me for the benediction? And then Kelsey and friends, let's, let's go out so that everybody can greet you. May the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining lights along your way. May God be close to you in pain, bringing strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen.